Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and my guest today is Nicholas Sabet. He is so much fun. I I had an absolute blast with him. I found every single time I have someone with esports background on the show, I have a blast. So maybe that's telling me something. But Nicholas is an advisor in the form of a lawyer, which is really, really interesting. Seeing and hearing and understanding where he's been in the industry, how he's gotten there and what he's been able to do. With it, it has been a lot of fun, and I'm very grateful I got to have the conversation with Nick. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Nicholas Sabet. Welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel, and this is the show where I get to talk to really cool people about the intersection of business and sports. And that really cool person today for me is Nicholas Sabet. He is an associate attorney and esports advisor at KL Gates Law Firm. Nicholas, how are you doing today, man? Hey, Michael, how are you? Good, good. Hope all is well. It's a beautiful Friday. It's yeah, that's right. I mean, it's. Oh. it's Oh, it's so beautiful. I love every second of it. Let's stay positive. Yeah. Let's enjoy the hell out of it. Yeah, yeah, there's, absolutely. There's some stuff absolutely. going on in the world, but we are here to spread a little positivity today, of course, and we want to make sure we're doing that. And thank you for joining me. I'm very excited sure. to talk about what it's like being an esports attorney, what it's like to grow that practice. But man, the first, sure. question, first question I have for everybody on For the Love of Sports is, why do you love sports so much? Uh, you know, I love sports because I think it's it's a unifying factor. It brings people together. So whether you're talking traditional sports or esports, it is something that transcends boundaries, transcends language, and uh, you know anyone can pick up a ball and play in the esports context. Most people can pick up a controller and play. And you know I'm glad to talk about that. That's one of the reasons esports is exploding right now is because literally whether you're an 80 year old grandmother or a five year old kid on an iPad, uh, you can you can do this. So. Um, but, but that's really my love for sports. And I think the other reason is, you know, I've always grown up, grown up around sports, playing sports. God knows how many different sports I played rugby, water, polo, football, basketball. So it's always been part of my life. My goodness. Yeah. It sounds like you played everything. Your parents must've been driving around a lot when you were a kid. Yeah. 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 Especially for water polo. Water polo is probably the most kind of like Annapolis down back to DC out different parts of Virginia to find the pools that, you know, that work for games. So, yeah. Shout out to your parents. Appreciate exactly. Oh, huge yeah. shout out. Huge that, shout out. Them. That's yeah, stuff, yeah, man. that's so right. With you know, with that, so obviously, I do want to talk about the the esports aspect and really everything that's going on. As we've seen over the last three months, everyone sure. has started playing just more video games, um, yeah. just in general. So when you start competing at that, you know, I guess technically, you know, well, so we'll, we'll talk about like the definition of esports. But I guess let's go to I guess more you on a personal level. Was was lawyer always kind of the assumed career path or at what point did you think like, you know, let me, let me try this law thing out. Yeah. So, so it, it's interesting, actually, it's a really good question, especially for this, you know, this podcast this interview, which is um, I went to business school, went to Tulane university undergrad and going into Tulane knew that I was going to do business from day one. It's kind of built in my blood. It's who I am. Um, and so that was really easy for me. And then rounds about my sophomore, junior year, I was really trying to pick nail down a major. And I thought to myself, yeah, what does it really mean to be a business person? Like, what 
what does that exactly mean? I can go work for EY or, you know, Bank of America or something like a bunch of friends. And that's a great, you know, honorable thing to be doing. But I wanted to do something now. I wanted to be doing something more. And I thought, let me go to law school, because that way, not only can I use my biggest business acumen, but I can add to that the fact that I could read every contract that's put in front of me and not 100 percent, you know, understand every single word. There's always subject matter experts that are brought in, but I'll know, you know, what's going on. Uh, and so that was really the impetus. And then the other big impetus is when I junior, senior year, I really wanted to go into sports law. Um, that was really the goal is to get into a sports law practice. But that is a very competitive field. So as a result, you know, went to law school, did my thing, uh, graduated, came out and just had the privilege to join k Gates global law firm. And, and I started off doing corporate law for them. That is awesome. So you say sports law, and usually the first thing we all think of is Jerry Maguire. Um, so yeah. was, was a was sports agent the direction you at least were considering at that point in time? And I guess I understand it's really competitive, but what drove you off of that path too? I think what drove me off of it was actually the tie to sports agent, right? I think there are a lot of actual sports attorneys out there, uh, but that's such a tight-knit, what we call in the attorney community, bar, right? It's a very tight-knit uh, legal bar to be part of that, um, sports law bar. Um, and, and I saw a lot of people that were getting into agency and that's not what I wanted to do. What I really wanted to do was holistically help players and organizations figure out where they were exposed, what their vulnerabilities were from the legal side. And then on the player side, but even on the, even on the team side, help them, uh, you know, grow in the most organic and natural way possible. So, not every agent, especially now these days, right, is going to screw their players over. But I really wanted to be able to help players, uh, you know, make the best investment in a restaurant or a car dealership or whatever, or, you know, buying houses, whatever it was, which in a way is agency. And it was hard for me to kind of teeter that line, I guess, is the short answer. And so as a result, between that and then the, just the difficulty overall in getting a sports law job, I kind of put that on the back burner for a second and just went straight to corporate. So, Nicholas, I do appreciate that answer, but I got two rules for this show. One, no free ads. Two, no short answers. I want all the details. On okay. All the do not got worry. It. You are perfect, man. I promise you that. I do appreciate it. And and I, I, I can understand where that is kind of that that difficult line, as you said. It's it's kind of sports agency, but it's also kind of not. It, it really isn't when you're talking about are you doing a player's contract? Are you doing right. their uh, you know, their marketing deal. Are you doing Saquon's endorsement deal with Campbell's Soup? No, it's it's much more than right. that. There's so It's so much further that you can go. And I can understand, again, not wanting to be pigeonholed or or really kind of niche down to the point of, oh, that's Nicholas. He does. He's a sports agent. But sure. No, not really. There's so much more, as you said. It's, are we getting into a restaurant? What does this overall right. arching deal look like? So I think that's really interesting how you went about that. And I guess at what point did it go from sports to esports? Yeah, so that's interesting. So like I said, I basically pulled back from the traditional sports law, went into straight corporate, which was always kind of part and parcel. Again, the reason I went to law school was to really use that business acumen and that background and, and do that. Um, and love the corporate work that I do, and I still do a good amount of corporate work. Uh, but ultimately, was really, I mean, the story is that I was scavenging for work. I was looking for more and more work trying to build more hours just because I wanted to challenge myself and be productive and ended up kind of tripping into esports because I saw that it was a really growing market and I had a genuine interest in it. I had cousins and friends who were more into the community at that time than I was, but I 
really looked at it was like, there's an opportunity here. And again, I took my position from sports law and tried to translate that into esports, which was I looked at esports and saw that this is such a nascent industry that has only been around for in its formal sense for like five or 10 years at the most, right? And there's so much opportunity for people to get screwed over. So the same thing that brought me to sports law originally, which was to really protect players and teams from getting screwed over from, you know, big, bad, I don't know, financial advisors yeah, or yeah. Campbell's Soup, whoever it is, right? <laughs> I'm sure Soup is good. Hey, now. Yeah, hey, now. Okay. I'm sure, hey, hey, we all grew up on Campbell's Soup. So no, um, but that's what, that's what really drew me into esports was the idea of there are so many people who are either organizing teams who are players themselves, who are influencers, or who are throwing money at this, who are probably pretty sophisticated, but they're just getting caught up in it. They may not have any idea what they're doing. And there's a huge potential for them to face liability because of all that. Yeah, I mean, it is absolutely, you know, you use the word nascent. I mean, you know, it's the Wild West, as my, my friend Reed Trimble, shout out Reed, he's been on the yeah, show, yeah. that was a couple episodes back. He, uh, you know, he when, when I first met him, that's, you know, he started as an esports consultant because there's so many people and so many brands that really don't even know what the heck's going on. It's right. just like, oh, they have how many eyeballs? There's how many people that Dota. know what League of Legends is? Dota? Perfect. Yeah, sure, here's a million dollars. And they're like... Yeah what are you doing you're just throwing money and and you know kind of hoping for the best it's you really have to understand the industry you have to understand the people that pay attention because i've found and in most places you'll see this but especially within esports because it skews so young they can tell if you're just kind of slapping a logo on something and being like yeah you should buy this product totally we don't need you and and, and the same thing goes the same thing goes for people who are in the industry right like to me i will never say i'm a legal expert because i'm not and I will never say that I'm an esports expert because I'm certainly not. But what I will say is that when I really wanted to dive into esports, I spent a good year, year and a half educating myself because I wanted to come at it from a very genuine place. And to me, it's all about the connections. So I may not be getting a billable hour for like the four or five hours a week that I put into marketing and talking to people. But I don't even want to call it marketing, right? Because it's really just about building the connection and trying to see where I can help people build the overall esports ecosystem because uh, eventually you know it, it'll pay itself back and that'll come somewhere absolutely it always does be a good person i'm a huge yeah. karma guy so yeah, yeah. Um, with with that i guess you know let's let's talk about the industry though so when when did you actually discover esports and i guess when did that light click of like oh wow there's you know as you said it's only kind of been around for 10 years and sure. a lot of people are probably doing some shady shit here like what at what point were you like, this is, this is really interesting. Let me yeah. at least start paying attention more. Right. No, I, I think it's when I started really seeing my first player contract. Um, and, and when I saw my first player contract and they're fairly available on, on, on the web, I mean, you're not going to find every agency mm-hmm. or every organization's uh, contract, but you look at these things and you're like, who as a lawyer, right? You look at these things and maybe it's just a general person, right? If you have some training and reading contracts, especially in the sports you know, field, you look at this and you're like, who wrote this? Like, this is crazy. Either because it's completely slamming the player or because it's not giving the organization enough ability to be flexible for what the needs are, right? Like esports is moving at a million miles an hour, especially now. I think something you said just when we started was, oh yeah, in the past three months, esports has blown up. I was on a panel recently and a panelist who I was on there with said something that I definitely am stealing and I thought was brilliant, which was esports has jumped 
two years in the past three months. Where, where we expected esports to be in two years, we're there now because of COVID, right? And like, you can't ignore that. So um, what really got me into it, though, was seeing how these contracts were written, seeing people were trying to do fundraising deals for esports on the back of napkins, like with no regard to like what the future may be. And and I always tell clients in the group that I work with, Takana, we always tell clients, you clearly got something because you're engaging us and we're happy to help and happy to make this work. But honestly, if you don't do this right from the get go, six months down the road, a year down the road, when a huge, you know, capital fund comes in and wants to pump money into you guys, they're not going to be too pleased that you don't have your ducks in a row. So let's do this right now. And, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's again, both about building the ecosystem, but also about helping people kind of, go through the process so that they recognize this isn't just a hobby anymore. It's a real business. It, it's a very real business, especially yeah. with some of the numbers that are being flown around now. Is it a bubble? Probably not. Is it, as you said, is it moving a million miles an hour? Absolutely. And, yeah. and with that, and from your, your expertise and from your area of, of understanding the space, with the industry moving so fast, especially, I mean, let's just call it the last like five years at, I, I mean, right. I know sure. esports has been around well before Fortnite. I know League of Legends has been around yeah. and been legitimate for like ten years or something at this point. Right. right. But in, you know, I, me being you know a normal person, being on the internet as much as the next guy, I really didn't hear too much about it until Fortnite just absolutely blew everything up a couple years sure. ago, and then you just started hearing more and more about it. Maybe that's me being ignorant and not paying attention to the space. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. But with especially those last few years, esports becoming more um, common within the lexicon of just people having a conversation. Yeah. How do you how do you try and structure some of these things so that way you don't really know what's going to happen in the future, but you can expect potentially a huge balloon or, you know, like like how do you kind of put guardrails sure. or bumpers yeah, on yeah. these types of deals without no, really knowing what the hell we're going to get? That's a great question. And so um, it kind of goes back to the last question, which was like, what brought me into this is just seeing like, oh my God, like this is crazy. Like I can't believe you're doing this. And so the guardrails you put on it, it, it I'm a very big proponent of uh, the least amount of ambiguity you can put into something, the best you're going to do, right? Mm-hmm. If you can eliminate any sort of confusion or ambiguity uh, in a contract or in a deal, that speaks volumes and that's going to last, right? So if you have, uh, you know, membership interests that you're drawing up for a funding round, or if you have a player contract or an influencer agreement and the splits aren't correct and the percentages are all wacky, someone's going to get upset. Even if, even if there's not a legal argument, someone's going to get upset that I'm not getting paid enough or I'm not getting enough of my share or where's my distribution in the waterfall, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I mean, so I think the biggest thing is, making sure that everyone's on the same page and making sure that everyone has an ability to look at the deal documents and hopefully has the ability to engage proper counsel and look these things over so that they're not walking in blind, but then also making sure that there is not, there's not an agreement or there's not a deal that's riddled with ambiguity so that when there is a problem down the road, people are arguing over something. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, hopefully it's, it's bl- as black and white as it can be. And hopefully that's something that everyone can kind of agree on and come to terms with. Um, 
like with with things that you can't predict you know what i mean like how, yeah. how do you as you said least a lot of ambiguity and that 100 percent makes sense but and i know i'm asking you a kind of a dumb question because you can't predict right. what you can't predict but you know what i mean like how do you kind of yeah so i'll give you a great example i, I, mean, I don't know I'm sorry man yeah be so, a silly question but no it's a, it's a great question right like here's an example and everyone's talking about this valorant is a game that just recently got launched uh it's it pushed past trials some teams got the ability to try it out some streamers whatever okay there started to become a very serious professional movement in Valorant where teams were signing people and, and engaging influencers, engaging players and trying to round up sponsors. The team wasn't, I mean, the game wasn't even formally launched yet and people were like blowing up. It was streaming on Twitch like crazy. And then you get the game finally out and you're like, okay, this is legit. We're going somewhere for this. But some of the teams had already had players locked in. You have no idea if Valorant's going to be a... We still don't know, right? It looks like it's not going to be a fad, but we have no idea how long it's going to last. And so whether teams want to throw their money behind Valorant players and, and sponsors want to throw their sponsorship dollars behind Valorant teams and Valorant organizations, that's something that you're going to have to kind of predict the future. But what you can do is you can make these contracts shorter terms with renewal periods, Mm-hmm. That's one way. I mean, there's just there's a few simple things. So it's I, I was going to say it's both the uh, lessening of ambiguity and the increase of flexibility, which kind of don't when you say them in the same sentence, don't really work together. But it's building in so that you're not confused about what flexibility you have, that if a team needs to jump out of an engagement with a player because the player ended up not being that good. Right. He was the first Valorant player in Brazil. And he was really good. And then the whole game came out and 200 other people are significantly better. The team's got to get rid of them and the team's got to move on to someone better. They can't carry the dead weight or same thing for the sponsor. They can't carry the dead weight of an organization that's not performing well and not achieving their stream requirements. Um, So you can have that kind of flexibility built in at times, but it's clear as to what flexibility there is. Mm -hmm. That is super interesting. And so you bring that that piece of the contract up, and I'm really having a blast with this conversation because esports is so interesting to me. Yeah. I probably am not really going to look down at my notes at all. I'm probably just going to be like, whoa, let's no, talk that's about fine. that. Yeah, so yeah. With, with the contract aspect, so it sounds like, you know, having to cut dead weight. So now we can see in, in the four major sports kind of how contracts work. The NBA right. and the you know MLB, everything's guaranteed. The NBA, it's a certain portion is, you know, a significant portion sometimes a little bit isn't guaranteed. In the NFL – those guaranteed numbers are totally inflated and BS because you can get cut after a year and it doesn't matter. Like exactly. how, how, how have you been able to draw from your, the sports knowledge background that you have, especially on, you know, player contracts, let's say, mm-hmm. and how have you been able to flexibly, flexibly, flexibly and ambiguity, flexibly, yeah. man, those are two words. <laughs> yeah, those are two difficult words. To how, how have you oh, been yeah. able to use those two <laughs> words in building contracts, especially with new games versus old games and, and new players versus old players? Like, how much do you draw upon these, I guess, older institutions when trying to build out some of these newer contracts? Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting, and you bring up, I'll say, a preliminary point that's that's I think really uh, true, which is there are a lot of similarities between traditional sports and esports. And I will say, for instance, just very quickly, there are a lot of people who are in the MLB, NFL, retired players of traditional sports who are moving over to esports, right, for their continued career. Not necessarily to play because you have to have the instincts and the reaction times, et cetera, et cetera, but to be on the business side because they understand 
the contracts. And I think that's great. Anytime an organization can bring in someone from traditional sports, fantastic, because that person knows how to not reinvent the wheel, right? There's some things that they're going to change. An NFL player, for instance, doesn't have anything in their contract about how many YouTube views you get or what your bonus is based on, on how many championships you win, because the championships, there could be 10 in a given season, right? So, but, but, and I think that's, that's probably a good kind of segue in, which is like, yeah, you have bonuses based on achievements. You have um, splits, you have buyouts, you have, uh, you don't really see this in traditional sports at all, but you know, equity that can, possibly vest mm-hmm. um you know name your favorite nfl player they're not going to get a piece of their team but uh you know they may they may get for instance a, a great example is sponsorships right so a team may be sponsored by nike or under armor or whoever uh, adidas or the player may have their own shoe or they may have their own energy drink uh, sponsorship. And so it's kind of like contracting around that kind of thing. Who have you already engaged? If, you know, if, if I'm representing a team, who is the player already engaged with in terms of sponsorship? How does that work with the team sponsors? And going forward, if the team picks up Red Bull as a sponsor, but the player has already engaged with Rockstar as their personal sponsor, how do you handle that, right? And how do you make sure that those two things aren't clashing? And I, I do think that comes up probably like more in a Nike Adidas situation in traditional sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so, that's a really, really good point. Yeah, so you can you can see there are overlaps, but there are a lot of also differences because, like I said, YouTube and tr- Twitch streaming and caffeine streaming and all this other stuff, and there's no similarity there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're the the an NFL players contract can't have in you how many people watch your games on that's like impossible considering the tv rights deals but i'm sure some of them probably wouldn't mind that if they're sure oh yeah you know the nfl pulls in billions and billions of dollars on that stuff and the athletes you know i'm i'm always in favor of the athletes and i guess you know as we've said you know the 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 industry is relatively young i mean in terms of you know baseball's been around since the 1800s Yep. Clearly, they're still idiots. But my favorite sport, but they can't figure out how to play a game um, right. when everyone else can. So it's very frustrating to see that. Maybe they're still stuck in the 1800s. I don't know. I guess we'll yeah. find out. But with that, I mean, I guess how those early contracts, as you were saying, and some of that early stuff, like how how bad were some of those in terms of just like, as you said, either working over the player or just completely handcuffing the organization? And how much has that stopped considering now, again, more and more people are starting to flood the market? Right. So I think the short part on this is when you look at it, there's so many different people involved. There's so many different organizations involved. But if you look at, for instance, the players, those players were definitely and still continue to be uh, screwed over. Right. Because they don't have the funds to hire. Probably. I mean, in some cases, yeah, probably because they don't have the funds to hire appropriate counsel. Right. And at the same time, there's probably a lot of players out there who think, oh, what my team is doing is patently unfair and they're completely screwing me out of the money, right? Well, better believe that the team, probably their first set of contracts was really bad. And then they came back super aggressive with updates to their contract. And I've done that before because basically the line to the team is, guys, look, like you are a very capitalized business now, you can't afford to be carrying the dead weight or 
a, a player that doesn't show up anymore. Like if you don't have like a termination for convenience or some way of adjusting, right? Like you can get yourself in real trouble and you're carrying, you know, $100,000 of player payments that aren't doing you but $8,000 of, you know, profit yeah. or revenue, right? It's, it's just not helpful to you. It doesn't make sense. And then um, in the sponsorship sense, sponsors, thank God, right, are walking into this, but they are usually represented by their own general counsel. But when they, you know, team up with a player or team up with a team um, to do a sponsorship arrangement, Again, it's kind of like, is that sponsor, is that team or is that player represented? Because the sponsor shirt certainly is. And, you know, what are the IP rights, right? Like if, if Skittles uh, gets a streamer to, I don't know, make 100 hours of video a month for them, right? Who owns the video? Well, I would hope that the streamer looks it over to see who owns the IP and what's the work for hire provisions, et cetera, et cetera, or, you, you know, any number of different things that are probably in that independent contractor agreement. Um, but Skittles could probably terminate that contract at any time, walk away and stop paying. And then they're taking all of the mm-hmm. production that the streamers put into it with them. I don't think Skittles would ever do that. No. But no, um, but maybe that's the M&Ms, of, though. I'm bad. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, that's true. Yes, <laughs> Starburst, maybe. My, they're, they're, you know, you gotta be careful for them. But um, yeah, so so that's I, I, again, it is a little bit of a wild west. I will say it's getting a lot better, right? And, and I will say, certainly, there are attorneys who have been in the practice uh, a lot longer. I mean, honestly, right, a lot long, longer than me, and they certainly know what they're doing, and probably even I would say better than me, which is like. I don't have a problem saying that. I hope that eventually this industry gets to a point where everyone who's really doing a significant deal is represented in some shape or form, because I think that's important, right? A gamer's a gamer, a lawyer's a lawyer. Now, it helps that the best lawyers kind of understand what's going on and understand the industry. Sure, that certainly helps, rather than some people who are walking around going, oh, yeah, I know esports. You read it on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, like, you know, last week. And you thought it was cool. Um, so there's certainly many lawyers that are in it. Uh, and I think that will continue to grow. Um, and I think that hopefully will make it so that, you know, there's not so much egregious contracting going mm-hmm. on. That's that's awesome. So now you bring up another two things that I wrote down. This is going to be a really fun. One. I'm already having a blast. We're about halfway Good. done already. Good thing. Yeah. So talking about lawyers, talking about sponsors. So I have a question about each of them. We'll go with lawyers first. Like how often do you find, like, as you say, you kind of understand the industry and now we have people walking in that are just like, again, like, wait, there's how much money? There's how much money here? Oh, I'm an expert now. Like, yeah, don't worry. Now I'm an expert. How often do you find that these lawyers are coming in either from the sports background, the corporate background, and kind of just coming in and just kind of swinging around and just being like, I've been in law for 55 years. You haven't even been alive for 15. Like, how often does that happen where they really have absolutely no idea what's going on and they kind of just muck up the process more than anything else? I think what's more often is that I find people who – are already working with an attorney. What's more often for me, right, is that I usually am talking to people who are already represented by some of those great other attorneys that I've talked about, mm-hmm. um, which I think is phenomenal, right? Awesome. And, you know, I would never want to step on any toes, and I think that's great. Um, what I will say as, as a member of what we call big law is that I will say two things, right? The first of them is a lot of big law is starting to come in and make these claims, which is, oh, we can represent you, 
Okay, there's a couple of problems with that. First of all, you charge $1,000 an hour. So I don't think anyone wants to pay, nor does anyone have the funds to pay you $1,000 an hour. Secondly, as you said, you know, no offense, but like if you're a 65 year old dude, what connection do you really have to esports? My, right? grand, my grandkids play on the iPad all the exactly, time. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Right. So I'll just leave it at that. Like yep. you, there are probably a lot of 65 year olds. And I know, for instance, like I wrote an article where I brought up this great team and I think it's Sweden and they're called the Silver Snipers. The average age is like 74. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. It's like that's so cool. Right. I'm sure there's plenty of attorneys out there who are also of more seasoned years and are connected to esports, but it's not the norm. And so I think it takes some understanding on a baseline level, but also then, like I said, the time to educate yourself on what's going on in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot of big law practices out there that are doing that uh, and are trying to get in. Um, and the other thing that I'll say from a big law perspective is, for instance, where we try to come in is we try to say to people, there are great boutique firms out there that represent plenty of other teams and plenty of other organizations. But we, for instance, try to bill ourselves as a one-stop shop where we can do anything from a small, minuscule player contract to a $40 million equity raise, Mm -hmm. right? I don't know if boutique shops can do that. And so I think what will be interesting is as the industry continues to grow, to see, uh, you know, where the chips fall in terms of experience and just kind of... um, you know, the complexity of stuff will increase and, and how people can keep up and adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think, you know, if if you're someone who's in it for the right reasons and, and you have that background and you're constantly trying to learn, I think there's totally space for that. Uh, and I think it will continue to grow. So I think, again, I run into more people who are already represented than people who are kind of running around, not, mm-hmm. you know, Honestly, because a lot of people still aren't paying attention to this because they don't understand it, right? I think that's the biggest thing. A lot of people just simply don't get it. It is. It's very confusing. Um, It's confusing from the outside. Again, I I like to have these conversations to educate myself and hopefully anybody that's out there listening now and and in the future could get educated because I think it is super, super incredible just what's what's been able to happen, especially over a short period of time. And it's always funny to me when you say esports because that's just like saying sports, Right. It's like, well, it's it's not even like broken down to first person shooters. It's like Call of Duty is very different than Fortnite. Like they are two separate sets of people. It's a completely different game. You can't just pick if you're not good at if you're good at one, it doesn't automatically mean you're good at another. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are. But it's just so interesting to me when you think about it like that, like we it's like, you know, the four major sports. And then here it's like soccer and then esports. It's like, no, it's like esports is not esports it's it's call of duty it's uh valorant right. or whatever you said before it's rocket yeah. league it's street fighter it's mortal Kombat. it's like yeah. super smash like it's all these other games which is so interesting to me and, and that's kind of my favorite part about it is because each of the games can kind of be considered in themselves their own league for lack of a better that, term that's right, that's right. But, yeah but then it's even weirder because then we have the you know like phase clan the really the only team that i know off the top of my head like, yeah i know they don't just play a single game. There's different people in there right. that play different games. So how are the organizations structured? And especially now yeah. with some of these like franchise leagues and like home stadium leagues, like how are you seeing that, especially kind of moving forward now with like this whole, like, are we ever allowed to go to events again thing too? Yeah. Yeah. So for instance, something that I always talk about is that when you look at the two main franchises right now, right, you have the call of duty franchise and you have the league of legends franchise, both of which 
are very successful games in their own right for casual play. But then you have these franchise models where teams were established and bought in and they're all pinned to a locale, you know, London, Atlanta, uh, two in Texas, right? You have Seattle all over the country and all over the world. Paris, I mean, there's teams, there's a set number of teams, but they're fairly well spread out. Um, I think there was a real opportunity for esports to find its footing in live events. And I think the few live events that we saw for esports competitions before COVID were a success, like the one in LA completely sold out. The one here in DC did well, but I don't think as well as everyone would have liked it to do. And I think that was kind of the story more or less around the country and around the world. Uh, But then came COVID, which unlike traditional sports, you don't need to be there, right? So we might've had 400 people at the competition in DC for the weekend of the tournament watching on any given day. But there was, I won't even pretend to know, but let's just say 3000 people watching online, right? You don't really have that in traditional sports where if the NFL, for instance, just poof as it is now, can't have any games, there's nothing for anyone to play. I mean, we might see a world where, for instance, the NBA plays games with no fans, but, you know, what fun is that really going to be? I mean, I guess you could watch on home, but, like, it's going to be different. Yeah, it's going to be different. Yeah, I'll watch it. I'm going to watch every second of it, but I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Right, because people are thirsty for it. And and, and so my point is, is more generally just you know, it was in the live event space and we were hoping to see a huge push from that. But then again, we saw esports grow because of COVID two years or more quicker than it was supposed to, which is great. Um, and so how the organizations are set up, you asked. So if you think about it like this, which is, uh, you know, no one owns a soccer ball. No one owns a basketball, right? Someone owns Call of Duty. Someone owns League of Legends. Someone owns Smash, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, it's difficult to draw a comparison in that sense. But Call of Duty, for instance, they set up the league, right? They were the ones who set up the league and and pushed everything out and made it what it is and allowed for buy-ins and stuff. But then you have organizations like FaZe Clan, like Cloud9, I don't know, list off any huge organization. Um, And... They have multiple uh, teams, as you said. So, for instance, I usually draw the best comparison to like a Barcelona, right? Barcelona has the famous Barcelona soccer team, but they also have a basketball team. They also have a volleyball team. They have a handball team, right? They have all of these different branches that fly under the banner of Barcelona. And I think those organizations, especially in esports, like FaZe Clan, like Cloud9, like Excel, all these other guys who... Uh, there's a great one who I really like out there called Veloce. Shout out Veloce. <laughs> just because that's a sweet name. Yeah, it's a really cool name. And uh, I botched it the first time I said it totally. But they, for instance, operate on and they have teams on a multitude of different racing platforms. Right. So like they're operating. And what a great time for racing esports. You can't have NASCAR. You can't have Formula One. But Veloce has guys and they've signed deals with McLaren and all these other people to do live racing in a simulator, which is probably yeah, not as exciting, but really close. And it's fun. It's fun to watch. It's cool to be involved in. Um, 
but they have multiple different teams, multiple different players playing different games. And I think those are the organizations that have multiple titles and multiple teams under one banner. Those are going to be the ones that we're going to see that go the distance because uh, those guys have kind of their revenue streams and they have the diversity. They're not just a Dota team. They're not just a League of Legends team. They're not just a World of Warcraft, right? They are broader than that. Um, and, and so that's how it's kind of set up and where I think it'll go. And do we see those types of teams, you know, those one-off teams, just like these dudes are great at Dota and they created a team and then they started crushing it. And then there's a team over here that's really great at Call of Duty. And they're like, hey, we both kind of need more revenue. We both need to do with things. Have like merger, like M&A kind of stuff. You know, you come in from corporate law, like has M&A stuff happened? In, in yeah, so I think that's exactly right. I think that, that there are teams out there that singularly like Rocket League, for instance. There's plenty of Rocket League teams that are really good standalone teams, especially when you go beyond the North American Rocket League and you go to Brazil or Europe or whatever. They're standalone Rocket League teams. That's fine, but I think that in order for them to truly expand, mm-hmm. eventually they'll either get picked up or they will merge with someone, right? Um, a, a great example is uh, the Vancouver and the Seattle teams, Seattle Surge and Vancouver Titans, right? They're Rocket, they're, um, sorry, uh, Call of Duty and League of Legends, respectively. They are part of the same organizational structure. They fall in the same corporate umbrella, as far as I know. And that's beneficial to everyone and to the brand. A lot of people may not know that, but it's the having an overarching ownership structure is very beneficial because then you have people who are sitting at the top who are passionate about gaming, passionate about esports, but they're able to run the business mm-hmm. for these additional teams or these multiple teams, I should say. Yeah. And, and, and another, um, you know, you gave the example of Barcelona, which was great. And I think, I mean, there's a few here in the United States, obviously, but um, I think one that comes to mind, because I actually interviewed a gentleman who is the CMO. Uh, he is named um, Joe Dupriest. He's the CMO of Monumental, which mm-hmm. yeah. is uh, the Wizards and the Capitals down in yeah. D.C., I'm not mistaken. So it's kind of cool. Joe's also an awesome guy. So make sure to go back and check out his episode if you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's just so interesting kind of how these things work and how the structure of these leagues exist. And I'm I'm excited to see it shake out because I think I think it's even cooler because there's multiple different avenues, right? There, there's these yeah. teams that are. You know, they're they're internet only essentially, where it doesn't matter. You know, Face Clan. I think their house is located in L.A. But right. like, obviously, there's players all over the world that sure. play for them, right? And it's just like it's so interesting to me to see something that can be so, um, just so spread out and so widespread that you can touch people in all these different countries because they have a connection with the personalities, less so the brand. It's like you know the NBA. Like I'm a LeBron fan. I couldn't care less where he plays. I kind of just want him to win. I feel like the NBA is the closest when it comes to those four major sports like that. The NFL, it's all about the shield. It's all about your team. And the MLB, same thing. It's all about, you know, who your grandfather's grandfather was a fan yeah, of. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know? um, so it's always very interesting to me in that respect. And another thing that's interesting is, you know, obviously coming from the world of sponsorships myself, and actually I didn't even realize I'm wearing a Seattle shirt. So great. great oh, job nice. on your part, man. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So with with the, the result of sponsorship, we were talking about it before, um, 
you know, these, the fans, you know, the people that are being marketed to are, yeah. you can, they grew up on the internet. We've been, we, you know, I'll put myself in the category of, you know, I've seen, you know, what is it? 15,000 ads a day since I was like six or something. Right. Like we know an advertisement when we see it, when we hear it, when we smell it, I can immediately yeah. tell you. So these, these kids, especially the younger ones obviously have been, um, you know, bombarded with even more. So sponsors really do have to go into this in a way that, is super authentic and super genuine because if not right. if you're you're wasting your money it is incredible again i remember yeah. you telling me that and my favorite one that i've seen so far i'm going to give you two i want to talk about one first is when nike put a nike only shoe in fortnite and you, yeah. the only way you could buy it is if you bought it in fortnite it doesn't exist it's essentially a digital token at that point and when i heard that i was like oh man this is going to get huge right. just like the industry and the advertising within it so when you talk to these corporations and when you talk to these sponsors and these brands how do you make sure they understand it's not just hey we're not just putting staples on a building and saying oh you know the lakers play at the staples center it's like right. oh, staples I've never met a single person that's been like, oh, yeah, you're right. Staples, the company and the Lakers, they're like best friends. No, they just give right. them millions of dollars. Yeah. Like, how do you make sure that these brands and these these organizations are really doing this in the most authentic way? Because everybody is going to make way more money if they do it correctly. Yeah, no. And, and I completely agree. I think, you know, the thing that keeps coming up here and in every conversation that I've ever had in esports is the authenticity level. Right. And, and that's so key. Um so I think a thing like Nike, right, it's a natural progression for them to get involved. They are a running, sporting, outdoor-based company, right? They are not a video game company or have any ties mm -hmm. to video games, right? And for all intents and purposes, yes, it might make you perform better if you were, if you play in a Nike Pro shirt or, you know, a pair of Jordans yeah. than if you're not, but nah, I doubt it. So, so it's hard for them to break in, but, but I think my answer to this really is, is when you look at esports as a whole, what it is really, the business side of it is it's marketing and it's a marketing and tech business, right? Esports at its core is completely about marketing and tech. It's about the tech of the game and the marketing of the eyeballs, right? There are so many eyeballs all over the world, 24 seven on streams that the TV is not capturing, your favorite show is not capturing, the NFL is not capturing, Shark Tank isn't capturing, you know, you name it, nothing is getting more eyeballs at any specific given time. I mean, don't quote me on this, but any specific given time than esports um, in some shape or form, right? And so I think, for instance, like when you see non-endemic sponsors, which I am a huge proponent of, I think is super great because it's marketing 101, right? And I, I'll never forget reaching back, for instance, we said at the beginning to my time at Tulane and in a business school class, like if, if, if you establish brand loyalty, especially from a young age, that is so valuable, right? So you have companies like Geico that have been involved in esports. You have companies like Rocket Mortgage or Allstate, right? I mean, I'm naming a bunch of like insurance and mortgage companies, yeah. but the point is, is like, this is stuff you don't think about when you're a 12 year old. This is stuff you don't think about when you're a 20 year old, right? You think about this when you're settling down and buying a house and not being a renter anymore or whatever, right? Like you don't care about this stuff until then. But if you are a 12 year old and you see Rocket Mortgage on the front of someone's jersey and Rocket Mortgage is really supporting your favorite esports team and there's not bad press about it and there's not late payments and there's not, you know, some dis disagreement between the organization and Rocket Mortgage. 
chances are when you go buy a house, if you continue on this trajectory of having esports and having gaming involved in your life, you're going to use Rocket Mortgage or you're going to buy Allstate car insurance because uh, or Geico car insurance because you think it's a company that I know. It's a company that I like. I've grown up with and I have a bunch of jerseys around my house for my favorite, you know, teams that have Rocket Mortgage or Allstate on the front of it. And then you have endemic sponsors, for instance, like Dell or, uh, you know, Intel or something like that. Right. And it, it will inherently make you trust that brand when you're no longer necessarily watching esports 24 seven because you're not in high school or you're not in college or you're not in whatever. You're at a desk job and you get a Dell computer and you're like, yeah, you know, I rock with Dell. Like that's you know, those are my guys. Right. Like I've they've been there. And I've, I've played on Adele when I was playing video games. I streamed on Adele. I was watching streams on Adele. So Adele's my company. Even though an Apple or even though, uh, you know, a gateway computer, I don't know. I don't even know if they make gateways. Yeah, gateway gateway computer. I haven't heard gateway in a while. I haven't heard gateway in a while. But I'm, you know, <laughs> my point is, like, you're not going to go get a, 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 another computer, right? You're going to trust Dell. Um so I think really my answer to your question in terms of like sponsors coming into this is as long as sponsors get, you know, do the appropriate thing and get the proper press out of it. Like, I don't think Allstate can convey itself in a more genuine way to esports organizations and fans other than to be like, we recognize you. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's as simple as that. Right. If Allstate is recognizing esports as a genuine thing, Allstate will do well because they'll be able to capture a very young and captive audience. I love it. And they'll probably be the first that goes into it. I mean, Mm -hmm. same with car brands, right? If Audi, for instance, jumped in there and was like, we believe in this and we're going to throw some sponsorship dollars behind it. You bet that when that 15 year old turns 16 and asks his parents for a car, he might not get it because Audis are expensive, (laughs) but he's going to ask for an Audi or he's going to work his tail off to get a second hand or third hand one. Right. So, um, that's where I think sponsors have a, a great ability because it's such a young captive audience that they can grow with as these kids grow from iPad to PC to Xbox, but more importantly, through the years of their lives. Yeah. Maybe their parents will buy them a gateway if they're lucky. Yeah, maybe their parents will buy Yeah. You like that pull? That was an old school yeah, pull. Dude, I wonder where you pulled that out of. I, 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 I really just, had a gateway like a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, like exactly. A long time ago, like solid 20, 20 plus years at this point. You put me on the spot and I was trying to think of like computer brands. I was like, Alien. I mean, I know like, you know, Gateway. Alienware, Dell, HP, but for instance, like Amen. HP didn't come to mind. Gateway came to mind. I'm sure Gateway was bought by somebody and I'm sure they're somewhere in that conversation. Right. I, that is fantastic. I did not expect of all a the Gateway. things we're going to talk about. Would be a <laughs> computer. Um, yeah. So uh, a couple more things. Uh, I'm, I feel like the more you talk, the more things I write down on my paper so I don't yeah. forget them, which is, sure. which is a in my opinion, uh, signs of a really good conversation. So that's great. with, you know, obviously we've talked about sponsors a little bit. And one thing that's always interesting to me is, you know, a lot of these, you know, we're t- you were talking about player sponsors before, right? Like there's, mm-hmm. maybe there's this team, maybe there's this player. And I think the interesting conversation is I've had the conversation a few times only because I've had multiple people that are in the esports industry on here, but streaming and gaming versus yeah. e- actual esports. Right. right. And, and, you know, one huge, huge example of this is I, I'm sure you've heard about it. If anyone out there hasn't, it's a it's a master class in marketing uh, with uh, Barstool Sports and Big Cat from Barstool Sports. He yep. bought an old uh, 2014 NCAA game 
and just started streaming it multiple days a week right. and at, you know multiple times a week he has ha- you know i think there was one time where he had 70,000 people concurrent watching him play oh, as yeah. a fake offensive coordinator in like Texas Tech or something right. to, for like some random bowl game from this 2014 game and that's just such yeah. a I, again, it's a masterclass in marketing. However you feel about Barstool Sports, they do some stuff right, and I respect right. a lot of it. But right. with that, like that's like the example I have, and and like the streaming crowd and just the content creating crowd versus the actual esports. So sure. I kind of understand that you know that that kind of where that line is. But if you don't mind, maybe explaining it for everybody a little bit, so that way people that don't really understand can just understand like what they're seeing and yeah. what is actually esports, not just labeling everything as esports. Right. So I, I think in my humble opinion and and i will specifically highlight the word humble because you know i think people probably transition and there's a lot of people that know more about the line than i do but i think it comes down to two things it comes down to money and it comes down to frankly for lack of a better term ability right so the money is is that somewhere along the line it became much more profitable in in the broad stroke sense to be an influencer or a streamer than it did a player Right. A player may get, you know, some number of thousand low thousand dollar a month payments to pay play for a team. But uh, a streamer may get a lot more to not from a team, obviously. I mean, some streamers work for teams and create content for teams. But then there are some streamers who work on their own and they work for Skittles or they work for not Gateway, but HP, and they work for all these other companies and they can make a lot more money in sponsorship dollars. Whereby if you're a player, well, again, right, you're contracted and the sponsors may have to be approved and there may be some, you know, kind of sticky ground on who can really sponsor you. And you may not be at the level yet where you can really attract sponsors. Might be better to just go through your team and get your team sponsors, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's one line is simply the monetary line that goes between how much money you can make as a streamer versus how much money you can make as a player. I think the other thing is ability. Sometimes you'll have streamers who are very good and who maybe start off as players. And then once they get replaced on a team or once they just kind of fall out of, you know, wanting to play competitively, they'll move over to streaming. Um, And usually that's probably because they're playing at a very high level and they have a very big following. So they are streaming for their team or for their organization to a lot of people. So it's very natural for them to just leave, again, for monetary or ability reasons, and just become a streamer because they already have a following from their team days or from their competitive days. Um, but at the same time, there's also a lot of streamers and influencers who never play competitively. They just start off, right, mm-hmm. streaming. And, and they're probably really good players uh, compared to any, you know, any number of actual, you know, professional esports players, but they're not playing competitively because they're not as good maybe. Um, and so they just don't have the ability to compete at that high level. And so they'd rather just stream. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. I mean, we see, you know, some of these guys again, you know, Google what Ninja is making from Mixer. Right. right exactly. That's, that's, that, he's a team platform. That, yeah. That's like, that is crazy to me. It's kind of, I mean, it just, just to, uh, for, for, I guess more of a normal piece. I mean, that's like Joe Rogan just moving to Spotify. Right. It's just, he's doing all the same things. He still gets all his sponsors, if I'm not mistaken. It's just like, here, yeah. like, just host your stuff here or just 
only allow people to come here and get it and we'll give you a hundred million dollars. Now I don't think uh, Ninja got that, but those, I mean, those types of things are real. And I mean, he's one of the more notable, I know there's a couple other dudes, but I'll be honest, I don't really watch too many streamers. And yeah. it's just no, so I, interesting to me to see how the, the market moved on this stuff so quickly a couple of years ago and, and now where it's going and things like, again, those, those streamers versus the, the the competitors debate it's it's always interesting because the the esports players might be way better there's just not nearly as much personality there and right. really not as much going on so the kids aren't going to really want to watch them because you know you're really just i mean you yeah you're watching someone play a video game but at the same time you're also there for a little bit of commentary too right it's not yeah. just great staring at a screen and just listening so right, right, right. and and there is a market for both really you know sometimes people just want to see yeah. the top level competition so it's always very interesting to me and right. then with um you brought it up for a second a little while ago talking about players you know traditional sports players mm-hmm. moving into the esports space whether that's through business we have actually seen a little bit of it through um like the nba 2k league i know orleans darkwa former M- yeah. uh, new york giant uh joel berry uh former unc uh tar heel he right. i know he they did some stuff with the, the they are doing things within the 2k league I mean, I know Jay Ajayi, if I'm not mistaken, former Eagle, former sure. Dolphin. He's doing some stuff within um, esports. I can't remember exactly. I think he's on the business side too. But yeah, how, yeah. how much is it? A how much is it that these guys? A is it an investment? B how much is it if a validation for the owners? Again, those people that are throwing around crazy amounts of money that don't really understand what's going on, but they see someone that they know and can yeah, kind, of, yeah. kind of gain that like, oh, this guy thinks, oh, Ryan Howard's interested in this. Okay, right. now I can kind of get on board. Like, how, like, where is that, like, in your opinion and what you've seen, how much is it just like getting a figurehead that people know of versus, you know, this person is just really interested in getting on the ground floor? And like, what are some of the places you see players right. entering this this market a little bit more. Yeah. So I think the other thing that I'll just throw into this yeah. mix is the music industry, right? Oh, there point. is yeah, yeah, yeah. such a tie between all of this stuff because again, esports at its core is a marketing business, which inherently involves media, right? Because that's what our marketing, you know, no longer do we care about billboards. We care about media and how much content we consume. So music is a huge part of this too. So for instance, you look at like Astro World and 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 you know what happened in Fortnite and the live stream that Travis yeah. gave and like all that kind of the music component of that. But then you look at like star NBA players either playing 2K or streaming a Fortnite or you know uh, for instance, who was I watching the video on the other day? I was watching some NFL players video. I forget who it was, and it set out his daily schedule. And I think it was literally train, Call of Duty, train, Call of Duty, lunch, Call of Duty, train. Love and it. I was like, and he's got the whole setup. He's got like his whole squad in there in the movie theater with the chairs and the professional headsets. And there, I think they're even, he even had like divided up screens so that no one could like cheat and look at the other person's screen. Awesome. I mean, it was super serious, right? So I think there is this huge crossover between the music, sports, and esports slash gaming scene. And I think it's because everyone who's involved is doing or involved in more or less the same thing. Esports players are listening to the, to, you know, name your favorite rapper or your favorite pop star. The pop stars are playing the games. The pop stars are also sitting courtside at the NBA. The NBA players are going home and playing Call of Duty or playing Fortnite or playing Dota or, you know, what at League of Legends, whatever, right? Um, 
So it's just this huge mixing bowl of everyone kind of intertwined with each other. And so I think when you have people like music stars or professional sports players who have a lot of money, they see this as an investment. And if they don't see it as an investment for necessarily 100% profitable reason, it's an interest of theirs, right? Like they see this as, you know what, I not only think I can make money off of this, but there's also some inherent value that I place into an esports team, into FaZe Clan, into, you know, whatever it is. I want to be a part of this because I like it. And I do think you're absolutely right. Like when the head of a VC fund they're not stupid. They may be 70-year-old guys. They may be 40-year-old guys. They may be 25-year-old guys. But when they see someone who they also know from the Grammys investing in an esports team, they're like, hmm, that's something I should consider. And I think that is very much real. I think at the end of the day, probably for those guys, it's less about interest, more about profit. Mm-hmm. So when FaZe Clan does their last round of funding, you see a lot of serious capital coming in, those guys are coming in because whatever phase clan is put in front of them shows profit and shows like legitimate, you know, uh, revenue coming back to, to those investors, which is obviously great for them. Um, so I think it's, it's a big circle that's just now blown up by the fact that people are starting to recognize you can make real money in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and with that last piece, and this will be the last couple minutes, cause I know you have to run and so do I, but sure. with, it's always interesting to me that esports teams raise capital and they're going for yeah. funding and they're going to VCs. But in traditional sports, it's, you know, these guys got $3 billion and they want to come by your team. Like, are you willing to sell for this amount of money? Right. Why is it like that? Why is it more looked at as in kind of the startup vein of like, oh, we're raising capital. We're doing this because we wanted like how is what is the. Um, what's the advantage, I guess, of doing it more so in, in that sense rather than having an, a traditional ownership group come in and just buy one of these teams straight up? Yeah, so you see, for instance, the crafts of the world, the rubber crafts of the world, yeah. get involved with esports, right? And, and that is certainly basically what you're talking about, which is like the money just comes in, right? Whether he has a legitimate interest or ever picked up an Xbox controller, I don't know, and I doubt, but there's an interest in there where he can like, I can tie the money. here. I think grassroots, what we call grassroots sports teams are out there right now, pounding the pavement, trying to get money, trying to grow their equity stakes, trying to grow their equity, port, you know, uh, amount of equity investment, I should say, that's the proper word for it and grow the business. So that it becomes a two, five, six, $20 million business. I think the reason that happens in esports is because, again, it is a very young industry that people are trying to convince other people it's still real, right? I think there are a lot of big money out there that doesn't necessarily see this as anything more than a flash in the pan. And I think it still takes some convincing and will take some years of convincing to show those people this is here to stay, which it absolutely is, right? I think esports is incredible simply by its global reach and its accessibility. I can be in India on an iPhone watching a stream or playing PUBG Mobile. And I could be a legitimate competitive player in the middle of Australia in the desert mm-hmm. or with a kangaroo, right? Like cool. doing Hopping this. around with a kangaroo. Exactly. Right? I could be in a little pouch playing Love PUBG it. Mobile and be legit. I'd be a legit player. So, um, the, but the one thing I would say to that, though, I mean, Face Clan is one of the, in my opinion, I guess, not knowing too too much about the industry. Sure. Face Clan, I think, is is kind of 
seeping into that lexicon. So why would a team like FaZe Clan need to still continue to say, like, no, we're legitimate, no, we're legitimate. Like, why are they still in the raising money? And maybe you don't know their particular yeah. um, situation. But you know what I mean? Like, it sounds to me like I understand why the smaller teams are like, hey, we just need, like, 100000 bucks to get this thing rolling. Right, right, right. That, like, they are pulling in millions. The burn, no, the burn rate is so huge, right? I yep. mean, when you think about VCs, right, like it is – that's what I said. Like remember, it's it's a media company, but it's a technology company. Technology companies are inherently capital burning. They set money on fire every day, right? They just roll through it, and they need it to stay alive. I mean, look at Uber, right? Like it, it, it's ridiculously valued, and it's absurd how much that company is worth. They need the money that they raise and the money that's in their stocks and the money that they try to get from investors to stay alive, right? And so it's the same thing. You need when you're an esports team or when you're an esports organization, you need the money to pay your players, pay your staff, enter into competitions, renew franchise fees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you're burning at such a rate that it may be several years before you're profitable, like any other startup in the world. Um, but I think I think the last thing I'll say is with esports companies and with esports teams, even in the situation like Face Clan or Cloud9, where there are big money that's come in, the core of it, and I'm very appreciative of the fact that this is still there, is the people who hopefully were either there from day one or have a real authentic interest, right? So when you see smaller grassroots teams, going to those two, $3 million funding rounds, mm -hmm. the people who are still hustling really hard are usually the people who started it or are the people who game six hours a day still because they have the value in there that cares. And I think that's different, right? Robert Kraft probably loves football and, I, and I'm not going to take that away from any NFL owner, but he's also doing it for the business reason. Whereas if these esports teams, if all else fell apart, they're part of an organization that does what they love and the money is just the extra bit i love it man this was awesome yeah wow yeah no, so same. um this was an absolute blast yeah i i have a million questions for you that i never asked because we do no, so I, yeah yeah no we'll have I'm you on again man i mean if there's something else you want to talk about believe me sure. I have the opportunity but nicholas sabet associate attorney and esports advisor at knl gates law firm sincerely sincerely appreciate your time today nicholas thank you i appreciate it it's been a pleasure Thank you all so much for listening to this episode with Nicholas. As I said, super interesting. We just kind of went off there and just chatted and I just asked him a bunch of questions and he was awesome to answer them. So really appreciate him there. Please make sure to follow him on all of his socials. Everything is in the show notes. Please also make sure to give me a follow on Twitter at MichaelRazil1. Give the show a five-star review, please. That would be super, super helpful um, on Apple, iTunes, or podcasts, wherever you're listening. And thank you for your time. It's the only thing we don't get more of and I appreciate you giving me some of yours and I hope you make it a wonderful day.